My name is Allison McNamara. I'm the founder of Mara. And what I love about beauty is that it gives you the confidence to be able to feel good in your own skin. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Beauty Is Your Business. I'm your co-host, Jessica Quick, and I am joined by my colleague and co-host, Denise. Hey, Denise. Hi, looking forward to today's conversation with Allison. So am I. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for having me. We are looking forward to this conversation with you. Denise and I stumbled across Mara a couple of years ago, actually doing packaging research. The bottles caught our eye. They're absolutely stunning. So once we found out that we got to have you on the show, we got really excited about all the different things that we got to speak with you about. So what I would love to really understand is how you came about creating Mara, the background that you have, and then ultimately where you ended up creating this very beautiful beauty line. Well, thank you. First off, that's such a compliment. And so my background really is in writing, uh, being a journalist, and also on-camera hosting. So I was reporting on beauty and fashion for years at outlets like Pop Sugar and Refinery29, but ultimately, which led to my dream job, I was a television host on a show called Pop TV on the Pop TV Network. And it was so much fun. It was a daily news show. It was truly my dream job because I wanted to be like the next Ryan Seacrest. But ultimately, it was at the era of when Instagram became really popular. It was like in 2015 that I was hosting this daily entertainment news show in the evening, and people weren't really tuning in to TV shows to watch their news at night. They already got all their news by 6 p.m. So unfortunately, the TV show only lasted about a year and some change. And so when that show ended, I kind of went back to the drawing board and thought, do I want to be making YouTube videos forever? Because I'd already been doing that for a decade. Or did I want to try and do something that really impacted people and could live beyond me? And so I had the idea for Mara on a trip to Turkey. Mara is the last four letters of my last name. McNamara uh, is McNamara if you're in Ireland, and it means hound of the sea or son of the sea. And I grew up in Palos Verdes, a beautiful coastal town in Southern California, and always was inspired by the ocean and its healing powers. And so went on this journey to create this proprietary algae blend that's at the core of the brand. And then from there, really started using very interesting, unique clinical actives like our clean retinol and our superfoods like moringa, and created this line that's in these beautiful blue bottles. And now it's, you know, grown a lot since we started in 2018. That is fantastic. So you had this amazing background and obviously a lot of connections in kind of getting started, plus all the research pre-done, because as obviously a journalist and a TV host that you had a lot of things sent to you. So I think it's pretty phenomenal that you kind of got to walk in already really knowledgeable of what it is that you wanted. So we'd love to understand a little bit more about the algae. Was that something that you really understood? Did you go out and find some key chemists? Was there somebody that you knew that you were able to connect with and say, this is how I want to build this? Yeah, that's a great question. So I had the idea for the algae before I found the chemists and the types of algae we wanted to use. I wanted something that felt luxurious and prestige. And I think the blue bottles are really have become our signature, but I wanted something that didn't feel 
generic or hippy dippy. And at the time in 2015, when we started this journey, that, that was really what was offered to us. And so I wanted to create something around the ocean, around my, my heritage and around um, the paid homage to Ireland in a way, because we are Irish citizens as well as US citizens. But the algae story, it developed in tandem with the name Mara, but finding the chemist was definitely something that took a little bit longer. That was a big part of the process and finding someone who was really comfortable formulating with new types of algae, who's really on the cutting edge of new actives that we can use and sourcing out the best ingredients that are also wild collected and sustainable. Because, you know, with any industry, with any raw material, there is that downside, that dark, dirty side of how things are actually extracted from our environment. So it was a long journey and we're really proud of the proprietary blend that we've created. And then we're constantly adding new types of algae to our formulas. So that's kind of like the base. And then certain products that need a little extra oomph, uh, we add different types of algae to them. How do you think your background coming from, you know, in front of the camera and reporting on beauty has really affected or impacted how you've gone about launching and bringing your brand to market? So when you're a journalist or an on-camera personality or both, as I was in my case, because I wrote and researched all of my own content that I was putting out there, you know, you really get good at visual storytelling. So I think being able to articulate things clearly and concisely to the viewer, or in this case now the customer, has something that I really honed over the course of a decade of, with my, my career. And so I think that is really important when it comes to launching a brand. I think that's why you're seeing a lot of really successful influencer founded brands, like the OG influencers that grew up in the era of the blogger. They're so great at, at knowing how to market themselves and how to you know attract the end customer. And I think the same goes for being a reporter or on camera host, because you only get like 45 seconds to say what you need to say, and you have to keep people hooked. So I think the same thing really goes to when you're, you're trying to articulate an idea or a product launch to a customer. That elevator pitch is really something that we talk a lot about, you know, in, in briefing founders. If you're going to get in front of a buyer or a journalist, can you very concisely and quickly explain your story, explain your unique points of difference to your brand and so forth? So that does sound like a competitive advantage that you personally brought to the table. So we love that idea. From the standpoint of talking about retail and where your products are distributed, so now that you've got the products and you've got this algae-based story and amazing, amazing packaging, the packaging is just so beautiful. How do you go about or how did you go about getting distribution and what was your distribution strategy? You know, I, I hate to say this, but honestly, I had no real strategy if I'm being totally honest. Like this was truly like a side hustle that ultimately led itself to being a great brand. I did all of the right kind of pre-steps though, like the trademarks and, you know, getting a great formulator. Like I was acting like it was actually going to be a big deal, but I also had no idea that I was going to actually have a brand. I'm like, maybe I'm launching one universal face oil and that's all of her launch. And I'll have 5,000 bottles to share with my friends for the rest of time. But uh, when it came to distribution, I did have dreams of having it in retail. And I think dreams are a good place to start. So launched D2C in 2018. And I did really want to get into a traditional clean beauty retailer. And there were only a few at the time who were really reputable. My, I had my eyes on Credo Beauty, which I was so lucky that they did want to onboard us with one single SKU. At the time, that was not a popular way to launch products. They really wanted you to have shelf space and have a routine. This is in the 10-step Korean skincare routine phase. 
phase. So when I came to market being like, I have one product, I need this much room on your shelf and it does it all. You know, it really was a newer way of approaching skincare and approaching self-care. And so I was so honored that Credo was able to take us on and believed in the brand and, and to give me that space with the one SKU. So we launched with them three months after around, I think it was May or June. I think it was May that we launched in 2018 with Credo. And then I had a lot of inbound requests at the time, which is amazing, but I really wanted to make sure that when we go into any retail partnership, and we still do this today, we really allow that retail partner to get successful. You know, you don't want to be everywhere all at once, as exciting as it may be. You know, you want to get everywhere and be competitive and, and have your products at the same places. You also want your retail partner to value you and find, you know, finding your product successful at their stores. So launched with Credo, gave it a beat, and then I wanted to get to the international Kind of landscape because I had an international following. I do a lot of stuff for in France for a show called TF1. Still to this day, it's an entertainment show. So I wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to reach an international customer. So launched with Cult Beauty after that. And then we've kept that same approach, launching one to two major partnerships a year since we've been in business. And our most recent one is Goop, I should say. That just happened. Congratulations. What are you? Interesting way to think about it. It's almost you approached retail very much like you approach a product launch. You know, most will launch one or two products a year and that cadence makes a lot of sense. Give the product time to really hit the market and perform. It sounds like you've taken the same approach for retail, one or two retailers and give them time. And I think that's really interesting because we face a lot of the times that excitement when you like all these people want you and it's so hard to say no but I think one of the most powerful things a CEO can do is know when to say no. And it's hard, right? You're turning down a PO and it's probably funding further development in your own company or future hires and all of those things that you need. But in the, not even long-term, in the next year or two, it actually does pay off to be thoughtful, give it time to be successful and make sure you have the resources to support it. And it sounds like that's really where you were coming from was, how do we make sure you're going to be successful and that you're going to carry the Mara brand well before we move on to the next one? Exactly. And it's also hard to predict you know, how successful you're going to be at a certain retailer. And you want to be able to support them for the inventory that they need. And that's something that we've definitely found to be a good challenge. But you know, our sunscreen's here and we can't seem to keep that one in stock. And we would love to launch it with more people, but we can barely even feed our current retail partners. And yes, you do see those exciting large POs come through, but you forget that you actually have to have the inventory to support those large POs, which takes capital. So it is like this beautiful balance that you kind of have to, um, it ebbs and flows. You got to make sure you're managing that correctly. And you talk about retail and this selling off the shelf, which is always something that we love to talk about because it is important when you go into these retailers that there's a thoughtful strategy around how are you going to sell the product out successfully to keep it on the shelves and to keep the wholesaler satisfied. So talk to us a little bit about that component of how have you been able to keep Mara flowing off of the shelves? Are there any two or three tips or strategies or tactics that you've used to really get consumers engaged in buying it off the shelf, either at retail or on D2C? Well, the one thing that really stands out, there's several, but one thing that really stands out to me is that when you see a new retail partner and they place a large PO and you get excited because you're like, wow, this is a high volume PO. I actually encourage them to reduce the size of the PO. I'd rather have you order more often with smaller quantities, even though that does you know, have shipping cost effects and, and things that does have negative benefits for sure or negative side effects for sure. I like to have a smaller PO just to make sure that like 
we're flowing through the product because if they're not flowing through it, like I'm going to flow through it on my website. So it's really kind of trying to gauge what the customer is actually going to buy at the first retail partner when you launch. And then to keep this, this stuff selling, you want to have a strategy in place. You know, we, we love to support our retail partners with in-store events now that we're able to do those again by doing gift with purchase moments or sampling if, if the store allows sampling. And then really being active on social with them, partnering in ways, whether it's a giveaway or it's an Instagram Live Getting involved with their following and then combining the followings is really helpful to kind of keep growing that partnership. And then the last leg of that would be working with influencers in their space. So we work with influencers on our own, but then, for example, Credo Beauty has amazing influencers that they work with. And we always want to support those initiatives when they are doing gifting and outreach to be at top of mind. So then from your, obviously, because you've built yourself too um, in this space as an influencer and a journalist, how much is the requirement on you personally? Are they coming and saying, Allison, we really want you to be on this Instagram live? Are you a big part of what they're looking for? Well, I love to do this. I mean, one of the big hybrids of my job and what I love is the intersection of getting able to go on camera again and talk about my brand. And we are a really small team. So I am the one that is doing the IG lives. and. It, of course, there is a pressure for me to sell product in a way, but I think that I do you know, push product and sell product for them. But I also want a brand that lives on without me. So while I am a very forward-facing founder, I also want the Mara brand to live beyond what my reach is. And I want it to be able to touch so many more people than what I'm able to touch. So I think there's a healthy balance. It's, you know, Allison, the founder of Mara, but then Mara should also be able to stand without Allison, if that makes sense. I think it's very intelligent. I think that makes a lot of sense because you're now really talking about succession planning and and really building this bigger than you. And what was amazing is you had the ability to bring in a really great audience when you started, but that's only so many and there's so much more out there. So partnering with the right influencers or the right retailers and building off of their base makes sense for an organically grown brand. And that's where Denise and I see a lot of stronger profits where we really believe when you look at a brand and know this is going to make it because it's more organic versus they got a lot of funding in the beginning, pumped a lot of money behind it. And now six months later, it's kind of like, what happened? I think it's a very intelligent way to do it. And along that line, it's about staying relevant because now that you're up and running and you have all this success across all these different retailers, there's this, how do you stay relevant? What information are you looking at? What data are you looking at? How are you evolving the brand to continue to keep it top of game? The Mara range is very curated because I'm an editor by trade. It has a very tightly curated selection and we don't launch a lot of products. So it does take that pressure off of being trendy in a way. Like I truly do not feel pressure to launch, you know, a certain product or a certain product with this type of ingredient because other people are doing it. Luckily, we've been able to set a lot of trends unintentionally because we are working on these formulas four or five years in advance at some times. But, and that just happens and it's an amazing, exciting moment when that does connect, but that isn't the goal. The goal is to have that same hero formula that we formulated still on shelves 30 years down the line. And so we really are formulating all of our products as hero SKUs. We want, and that's why we slow launch them. We want to give time for the customer to understand what the product's about, the actives that are in it. And I think one thing that we've done really well and really we're pioneers of is this clean clinical space where we're using beautiful superfoods, you know, active algae, but also tried and true skincare favorites like retinol, which we we did a clean retinol, which I thought was really, really groundbreaking at the time when it launched. And so I think continuing to have that 
forward-thinking mindset of how to reimagine cult classics is going to be how we stay relevant for years to come. That makes a lot of sense applying it to the new sunscreen that you launched last summer because I think that sunscreen serum was, I know there's a couple already on the market, but that idea, right, and taking a cult classic sunscreen, we all need it, and then applying the Mara vision to that and what that really feels like to get a nice glow. I would love to understand a little bit more about the sunscreen and even how is it doing? I know earlier you mentioned it's you know hard to kind of say yes to everybody that wants it, but is it hitting the marks you wanted it to hit? The sunscreen serum has blown away every mark I could have even set for the product. And it, it was truly a passion project for me. You know, I I love skincare. I love to glow, but sunscreen is something I wear and love to wear now with my product, but it was something I struggled with finding something that I just enjoyed putting on as the last step in my routine, because a lot of them had a greasy effect or a more primer-like mattifying effect, or had that really intense white cast, even though I'm very fair, because I'm so fair red, the, the purple sunscreens actually look violet on my skin, which it's crazy. So I wanted to find something that, yes, there are other sunscreen serums on the market, but this is a 100% oil-based serum, which hadn't been done before in the capacity that we did it, and really with skincare first active. So we put together the blue sea kale. We have moringa in there. We have red raspberry to help with sunburns. It has our proprietary algae. There's avocado. And so it has these really great skin-supporting ingredients, plus the addition of the zinc. So I like to say it's your face, favorite face oil with the added bonus of SPF 30, broad-spectrum, UVA, UVB. And so to touch on the marks, I mean, when we saw, when we first launched it, we launched it exclusively on our website and with Credo. We sold out twice within the first 48 hours on both platforms. So it was amazing to see that people were really receptive to a new type of sunscreen. And it's definitely has, it definitely has its own kind of cult, you know, group following now, which is so exciting. I think you mentioned something earlier about this idea that it takes or it has taken you in some cases four or five years to develop a product and the slow launch process. I think one of the things when Jessica and I, you know, speak with brands and talk with brands that we work with is sometimes there's this thought of just launch, launch, launch and getting new product out there and pulsing it out at a very fast pace and really stopping and taking time to look at what does it take to launch launch well, and then lead after the fact. So you're not just launching and leaving, but really launch and lead. How do you go about doing that? Well, there's so much out there that if we're not launching something that I feel deserves to have its own six, even eight months sometimes to stand on its own and be the center hero for us, then I don't think we should launch it. Like we haven't launched a product since our sunscreen last July. And we are launching one in April at the end of April, which is exciting for us, a new category. But I think you really need to have these products that that you believe in because if you if you feel like you need to launch something every 3 months if that's how your you know your new customer acquisition strategy or your customer retention strategy then i don't think that's a very solid strategy because you're just creating more fluff and maybe not products that you actually believe in or enjoy so we really have such a high return rate for customers coming back for repurchases of the same products of new products they want to try and yeah sure we do see bumps in new customer acquisition when we launch those new products. And it's exciting. It makes you want to launch something every day. But um, at the end of the day, you really have to, for me, I go back to the core concept of what the brand is. It's a less is more approach to beauty. And if I blow through all my ideas in a year, launching something every other month, then what am I going to do for the next few years? It puts so much pressure on brands. So I think that's something that I think about. I heard a podcast with another brand the other day that I really love. And I heard that they're launching something every three months. And that did kind of like make me think like, oh my gosh, do I need to do that? But 
I have to stay true to what, what the brand stands for. We had a really interesting conversation about this launching multiple products really quickly. And it was actually the founders of Kinship. And I thought that their perspective, of they don't launch very often either. And it's because they stand on a platform of sustainability and launching repeatedly doesn't really create a world of sustainability. And I thought it was an interesting perspective. And I think when I look at something like Mara, who also has a platform of sustainability and like you've said before, more minimalist um, approach, then the ethos wouldn't line up if you were launching every three months. So it does make sense that you're going to be more thoughtful. It's going to be one every now and then really because that's what the brand is about. So connecting those two things are really key and customers now they pick up on that. If you say you're about sustainability and you're about minimalism and then you launch every three months, they see right through that. So I think it's it's an interesting way to approach it. And I love that you said early on, you don't feel pressure. You don't feel the pressure to do that. And so I think that's, that's really great. I think it's really coming out. Retailers are really wanting to work with brands and set up those brands to be as successful in their lanes as they can be. Definitely. I would like to know, I do feel pressure just not in the way of having to launch things. I feel pressure on the one item I do launch a year <laughs> because there's a lot of pressure on that because you get one you get one shot, one or two shots. Yeah, all your eggs are in that basket. Definitely. So that kind of goes back to the angle. You really have to believe in the products then because you're only given that opportunity really once or twice a year. Which is kind of exciting because it really means you're all in. There is no other option. So I mean, talk about really believing in it. There's no back out. There's no plan B. This is it. I love it. <laughs> Exactly. It also means when you do drop a new product, your audience is really leaning forward and leaning into it because they know there's going to be something really special and amazing about that particular product because they know you're pacing and pulsing out of new innovation. So I think it probably does pay off for you that you bring something out in a more meaningful, edited way, which I think is something that you brought to the table as a bit of your superpower, it sounds like, is this ability to edit. I would like to think that our products are very easy to use and almost intuitive. You know, we launched first with a universal face oil, which I launched that purposefully because I wanted everyone to be able to use it and no one to be scared of it. But I knew my second product was going to be an active-based product, which was a retinol. At the time, and still today, but I think more than retinol was polarizing. People were nervous. They were scared of those formulas from the 90s and 2000s that burnt their faces off or dried the crap out of their skin. And so this was a reimagined way of doing retinol with a really silky, soft, oil-based, super hydrating um, kind of base carrier oils, and then adding the clean retinol, which we custom make. And so I think spacing out the launches, you know, doing the universal, then the retinol, then a cleanser, and then a vitamin C, you know, people were like, oh, I, I see how I can incorporate this. Oh, I can now swap out the cleanser I was using for the Mara cleanser. Or maybe I'm going to use all Mara products, or maybe I'm going to use you know, just the universal face oil, but they understood where it sits in their routine, which I think is important. Really important. And I think you touched on too, it's about also not scaring off people because it's complicated or it's too hard to understand. And so by having one that they can incorporate in what they already have, or slowly build out, it makes a lot of sense from a customer acquisition standpoint. So you launch new products and so forth. What does it feel like from a, I know you feel pressure, because I have to imagine the cash flow part of this has got to be pretty hard. And I think up till now, you're still 100% self-funded. So is that something that you're wanting to maintain? Do you see yourself looking for funding soon? Or are you doing this at a pace in which you're going to keep up? How are you looking at that? 
We are proud to be self-funded still. I think there's so much glamour and glitz in getting the big VC money early on, which I think is an amazing strategy and works for some people. But I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to create. And not that you can't do that when you're with a VC, but I think the storytelling gets a little bit more convoluted when it's not just your story anymore. And so we have been self-funded up to this point. I do see us taking funding at some point in the future. I'm not sure exactly when that will be, but part of the initial launch strategy of the single product launch was also to maintain cash flow. So every kind of, we put the majority of our first amount of um, funding into the business that we put into it was towards the formulas. And then we launched the first product and that really kind of funds the materials and the needs for the second product, even though we've already finished the formulation or are currently working on the formulation. So I think that that kind of steady flow of launch success put it back into the business launch success kind of it kind of like is this machine but at some point you do need to take on funding in order to really scale the business in terms of new hires and the marketing initiatives that we would love to do or you know bringing on a massive retail partner whatever that is there will be a, a time and place where we can't sustain the current growth just because that initial PO for a place is so big and you're like wow that's a lot i need to have that much capital to even create the products before they're purchased and then paid at net 30 yeah, taking into all of that into account is a big part of what it's going to take to grow a sustainable brand and have a plan and have a strategy that is forward thinking and forward looking. I am curious about your staff and your setup from the standpoint of, you know, what does your team look like and how have you invested in your team? We have a lot of people working on the brand, but full-time we have just under six employees or just at six employees, I should say. And then we have so many contractors that are working daily on the brand from accounting teams to PR teams in the US and the UK and abroad, of course, our fulfillment center and our warehouse, but we're, we're actively growing. So hopefully we'll be onboarding two to three more people this year or in the next few months. But yeah, it's hard because every every single person is such an investment and you want to make the investment, but it's also like, do you get a person or do I just continue to do the work and you know start a new formulation? So there is that kind of juggle of that. And it's like, basically it's how much can I handle, right? I think a lot of founders are like, what is your capacity of doing things? Like last year I learned how to do NetSuite and I took the brand onto NetSuite myself. I have no accounting background, no proper business school. I did a minor in marketing. But as we know, you don't really need to do business calculus to do marketing as a minor. So I have no real true business background in a way. So I think it really is just understanding my own limits and where I'm where I can really um, continue to develop and where I what things I can pass off. I love that as advice because I do think it's the big thing is the trade-off. You know, what is the trade-off? And for founders, it's really challenging. I also understand too at some point you know, it's so easy to just keep taking everything on yourself and saying, okay, I can, I can do this. Okay. I can do this. And then at some point there has to be a, a balance back because you can't do it for five, six years. You know, at some point, I mean, you're already gosh in year four now. So, I mean, I have to imagine, right. Like you're probably at the point where like, okay, probably ready to hire some of these things out. Love the idea that you've done contractors. Now, was that always part of the plan or was it just lately because 2020 hit and there was just more availability for contractors. How did you think about that? Was it more of an organic, it just kept going forward and you went with it? I think contractors make sense for a lot of roles, like from PR to um, graphic design to, of course, like fulfillment would be a contracted place. So those things are easy to kind of 
push out. But I think when it's such a founder led brand, it is really nice to have people that are in house working on the brand as well, because they get to know the vision and they get to understand, you know, the words that we use, like I create words for each product and sounds and ethos and colors. And so you wouldn't get that if you weren't working with me on a day to day basis. So I believe in the value of both. And I think with founders too, there's two types of founders they are the founders that either want to do everything themselves, which unfortunately that is me, or they're the founders that want to offsource everything from the start. And I think you get benefits of both, right? If you already have a well-oiled machine where you've got lots of employees, then you're kind of able to maybe do more things from the early on. But I think the brand might suffer because you're not getting the individualized approach from the founder. Whereas if you have a founder-led brand who is very hands-on and does everything from cutting the POs to the supply chain to the marketing, um, it's harder for me to relinquish control on some things because I it being so in the weeds with my POs and my supply chain is what has allowed me to stay so so great with my cash flow, honestly, because I have such eyes on what we're ordering, what needs to be ordered, where the sales are at. So I, it, it's definitely like an exchange. You bring up such a good point about making choices. And it really is about figuring out what choices you want to make and how it benefits the business and then making those choices and moving forward with those. So in talking about growing the business and moving you know, into this new realm of the future, where do you see the brand growing into the future? Are you looking at growing more SKUs? Are you looking at growing more wholesale outlets, growing international? Where is your growth going to come from? I think the growth all comes from new customer acquisition. So whether that's through our D2C or through that's new, a wholesale channel, I think it's really important just to keep trying to reach our customer in new in new places. So I really believe in just the value of growing where we're currently at. I think there's so much room to expand with our current retail partnerships. Of course, adding on new wholesale partners will, will definitely increase our distribution, our POs, and therefore our reach. But I think ultimately it all comes down to just focusing on how to keep our current customers happy. And because current customers, that are happy, tell their friends. They tell their friends. And that's how I think you can grow the quickest, honestly, is through people loving and raving about your products. So, I mean, I also am just learning as I go. I mean, I'm kind of doing what I think is the best way to grow a business, but ultimately um, I'm also learning as I go. I think that's what we're all doing, to be honest. I think that we all, we have a plan potentially in mind, but then as you get going, you realize that there's a lot of different ways we can go and you end up on different paths. And that's what makes this journey especially in this industry of beauty, I think that's what makes it so fascinating that most founders, most GMs or presidents we talk to, they don't, they didn't see themselves here even 12 months ago, but the ability to adapt and change and roll with it and then continue to keep the key things that matter in mind. You stay very clear about your brand and your ethos, but you are able to pivot to what needs to happen. On that note, I'd love to understand a little bit too, because you're, we talked a little bit about the packaging in the beginning, but that the beautiful packaging is actually recyclable. And so that sustainability piece of Mara and understanding why it was so important. So it wasn't just about finding this beautiful glass bottle, but it was really about what can you do to continue the ethos of the brand and really taking care of the sea. So if you can chat a little bit about that program. Okay. Plastic is just the worst. If you cannot use it, like that would be great. You know, I know that that's not for everyone. So that was always a non-negotiable. Mara was always going to be in glass because you can recycle it. And there's actually a fun story about how I found the bottles. I'm here in Los Angeles. There's a lot of different places that are manufacturers. They have sort of warehouses or showrooms throughout the greater LA area. Found one at a Cosmoprof, um, fest I call it the festival, but it's not a festival. It feels like a festival. 
because you get exhausted. I think we should call it a festival. Yeah, I call it a festival. Everyone thinks it's crazy. I'm like, yeah, Cosmoprof Festival, the ingredient festival. But anyways, I was at Cosmoprof in Vegas, found a manufacturer that I, I was interested in, visited them, and they actually had dead stock products lying here in Los Angeles. They were the blue bottles that created universal face oil. And it, it allowed me to only buy 3,500 of them because they were just sitting here. I didn't have to order like 10,000, 20,000. And that's kind of what created the DNA of the brand, that signature blue bottle. But yeah, to your point of sustainability, it's just doing what's good for the environment. So for me, at the beginning of my brand, I didn't want to you know, manufacture custom brand new bottles for a brand I had no idea was going to even be successful. I wanted it to be successful, but I didn't know. Everything we do is trying to just be as as resourceful and as sustainable as we can. And so we have so many other initiatives now that we're bigger than we were when we launched. We have a 1% for the planet partnership. We are a certified plastic neutral brand. We are developing a partnership with Sea Trees, which is um, an amazing organization that actually plants mangroves and sea trees and also restores kelp off of my hometown of Palos Verdes, which is really exciting to give back to the community that I'm from. And always looking for ways to continue our partnership, whether it's through an eco-cart checkout to reduce emissions for our D2C customers or using FSC certified paperboard and making sure that we're, we're customizing it so we're not wasting any extra paper. It's all those things that should be intuitive to a brand, at least they're intuitive to me. And I hope that feels that way with the Mara ethos. I think all of that definitely comes across when you look at the brand. And then when you get to touch and feel it, it has a point of view that is very much needed in the industry. So, you know, we continue to be fans and wish you the very best of luck as the brand continues to grow and evolve. And you've just been a wonderful guest today. And so thank you for joining us. We really have loved the conversation. And we know that our audience that's out there may want to know more information. So if they do want to know how to reach you, get some tips or advice or information, how can they reach out to you? So Mara's Instagram is at the Mara Beauty, and I still troll it. So don't you worry. You'll be, we have, <laughs> there's a few of us on there, but I I do see it. And then if you want to uh, reach me directly, I'm at Allison McNamara. Great. Thank you, Allison. It was a joy to talk with you. Thank you guys so much. This has been Beauty is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.